Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at c-u-e-a-n-d-r-e-v-i-e-w.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Evening Times Sport, August 2. Celtic legend John Hughes dies, aged 79. Report by Ewan Payton. Celtic legend John Hughes has died aged 79, his family have confirmed. The Lisbon Lion passed away following a short illness. Famously known as Yogi, Hughes made 435 appearances for the club. He bagged 197 goals in 11 seasons as he played his part in helping Celtic on their way to European Cup success in 1967. His family have released a statement to confirm the sad news. The statement reads, John Yogi Hughes, age 79, passed away peacefully in hospital today following a short illness. He was surrounded by his loving family. He was dearly loved and will be sorely missed. Always remembered and celebrated with love by his wife Teresa his sons Kevin, Martin and John, his daughter Joanna, his six grandchildren and extended family. He now joins the ranks of those who will be immortal as long as he is a Glasgow Celtic. The family asks for privacy at this terribly difficult time and will release details of his funeral arrangements in due course. Celtic have also paid tribute to their former star. A club statement said, Everyone at Celtic Football Club is extremely sad to hear of the passing of Lisbon Lion John Yogi Hughes, who has died at the age of 79. And the thoughts and prayers of everyone at the club are with John's family and friends at this extremely sad time. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, August 2. Glasgow Boxing Club talks about their free sessions. Report by Morgan Carmichael. A boxing academy in Govan Hill is making a difference with its Feel Good Friday sessions for mental health and well-being. The sessions, which take place every Friday between 4 and 5 p.m., are completely free for all and have already begun to make a difference in the community. 42-year-old Anthony Quayle, founder and lead coach of Southside Boxing Academy, told the Glasgow Times the classes began as a result of the pandemic. He said, I believe it was needed after the pandemic. There was a lot of suffering and isolation and a lot of suffering for people just to get out. In boxing, we usually say that the bag is medicine, 
and it's come too late that it is. It's therapeutic for people to hit a bag for stresses and anxieties. The sessions have been through various funding platforms and have now found a home via Glasgow City Council's mental health programme for the time being. Continued Anthony, we did the sessions as a pilot for sanctuary housing and it went really well. We had people turning up wanting to do it and we realised that it was a success and it was helping people. Sanctuary Housing did not want to fund it again as it was just a start-up pilot for them. So we acquired funding from Glasgow Mental Health, Glasgow City Council's Mental Health Programme, which allowed us to continue the programme for a further 20 weeks which we are more than halfway through now. However, Anthony doesn't plan to end the sessions after the 20-week programme. And he said, we're going to do Feel Good Fridays as one of our programmes that we apply for through the lottery so that it will be able to continue. I'll fight to be able to keep this because it's needed. As part of the Feel Good Friday sessions, Attendees can do their own thing or work with coaches who attend sometimes. There are a range of activities to choose from, such as the fitness area where you can find the treadmill and other equipment, or you can simply hit the bags or take part in bag drills. At the sessions, staff are also on hand to support those needing help with their mental health with the Academy having forged close links to the Scottish Association for Mental Health for further support if needed. Additionally, you can use the sessions to socialise to boost mental health. Anthony said, There are people that are isolating all week and they don't see anybody and it's a shame. So people can come and just talk. That's a big one that people don't notice, that you can get out of the house and chat to somebody, and that's mental health support. Thus, the sessions are a place to socialise, get fit, and hopefully feel good. Since the sessions began, there have been a lot of personal successes for those in the local community that attend. Anthony said, We've got a boy that comes to the sessions and we've built his confidence up so much that we're maybe going to get him into being a bit of a coach. He's only 16, but he comes in and he just wants to help people and he doesn't even realise that by doing that, we're helping him. That's my success story from this. We have a guy that comes in and this is his wee bit of time away to de-stress. De we usually get a lot of men that turn up on Friday and if they can come here and release their stress, then they go home and can have a nice weekend. Anthony even stated that he has seen great differences and progressions in those that attend and he added, what I've been trying to do since I opened Southside 10 years ago is change perspective on boxing. People think boxing is bad and they only think of people getting injured 
They never hear the good stuff. I've been trying to change perspectives and it is starting to happen. Report by Morgan Carmichael. Evening Times Sport, August 2. Hibbs I Martin Boyle transfer return. Report by Aidan Smith. Hibbs are eyeing a transfer return for Martin Boyle, according to reports. The speedy winger left Easter Road in January when he switched to Saudi Arabian club Al Fasele in a three million pound deal. Al Fasele were relegated from the Saudi Pro League and the Sun now say that Hibs are plotting a return. Boyle watched on during the Edinburgh Outfit's Premier Sports Cup clash against Morton. The report also states that Boyle has watched Aberdeen in action in the League Cup and Jim Goodwin's side could hijack a possible deal. Boyle played 187 league games for Hibs and scored 47 goals along the way during his seven-year stint. He has also now become a key member of the Australian national team at international level. Report by Aidan Smith. Evening Times Sport, August 2. Brian Lauderp salutes James Tavarney. Report by Stuart Wilson. Brian Lauderup has saluted the mentality of Rangers captain James Tavarney in bouncing back from criticism to become a club legend. The Great Dane has been particularly impressed by the Englishman's capacity to deliver on the continent and was blown away by the right-back becoming the Europa League top scorer last season. And he alludes to criticism the right-back received from former Celtic player and pundit Chris Sutton, who claimed Tavani was a serial loser in 2019, pointing out that it has been well and truly answered with a title win, a Scottish Cup and a Europa League finalist medal. Loudrop recalled in the Daily Mail, if you go a few years back, people would poke fun at the fact he had not won anything. Celtic fans loved to bring it up. Some comments he made in a match programme did not help him with his own supporters. Back then, his mentality was scrutinised. People said he was good going forward, but couldn't really defend. Honestly, there was a lot placed on his shoulders. To bounce back in the manner he did, answered all the questions about him emphatically. Now he has medals to show. He has won a league title, ending Celtic's bid for 10 in a row, and has a Scottish Cup too. Going to the Europa League final was an agonising near miss, but Tavani ended as the top scorer in the competition. We have become used to his attacking prowess, but just think about that stat again. A right back from a Scottish club was the top scorer in a major European tournament. People will look back on it in years to come and be amazed. Of course he has to go and win more trophies domestically and keep adding to the CV he has constructed over the last couple of years. That's a clear target. But helping Rangers reach the Champions League 
would be another massive feat for a player who has an opportunity to leave a real legacy behind when his batteries finally run out. Report by Stuart Wilson Evening Times Sport, August 2 Ali McCoist makes Rangers versus San Gaoa's Champions League prediction. Report by Aidan Smith Ali McCoist reckons Rangers will have to be at the top of their game if they want to progress into the playoff round of the Champions League. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's team are in action against Union San Gilwas tonight, ahead of the return leg at Ibrox next week. The group stages of the Champions League are just four games away for the Govan outfit, and McCoist is hopeful his former side can get the job done. He told TalkSport, They are a good side. I'm telling you right now, they had a good season last year, and they've actually had a very, very good pre-season. They beat Feyenoord 4-0. We are missing Ryan Kent as well, which is a big miss for us. I'd take a draw right now if you offered me a draw. Both Kent and John Souter have not travelled to Belgium for Rangers Champions League opener. Souter went off for James Sands in the second half of a difficult debut as Rangers won 2-1 at Livingston on Saturday, while Kent went over on his ankle late on. Centre-back Leon King trained with the team on Monday. New signing Ridvan Yilmaz, a Turkey international left-back, and midfielder Rabi Matondo, who missed the Livingston game with a knock, were among the group who travelled. Colombia striker Alfredo Morelos also trained as he continues his recovery from the thigh injury, which required surgery. Speaking before training on Monday morning, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst said, Rabi and Ridvan trained with the team on Sunday. We have another session in another couple of hours, but we still have some players who are injury doubts. We have to see who is fit but I think Rabi and Ridvan can travel with us. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport August 3 Mark Hately brands Rangers striker Kolak a waste of time. Report by Aidan Smith Mark Hately has slated Rangers striker Antonio Kolak for his display against Union San Giwas in the Champions League. The Croatian frontman led the line for Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's team in Belgium, but he failed to make an impact. It was a poor display all round by Rangers, and Van Bronckhorst admitted that the Govan outfit were well off the pace. They now have it all to do in the second leg at Ibrox next week, and Rangers hero Hately was not impressed. He told the BBC, It was a poor, poor show, weak and blunt. We don't even know if Union's back three are any good. Is the goalkeeper any good? We don't know. Union figured Rangers out after 25 minutes. At the end of the day, Rangers are very, very lucky 
to come away with a 2 nothing defeat. You could see a second goal coming all second half. Then you worry about the third goal. Kolak, for me, was a waste of time. If Morales is playing there, the ball goes into him. Kolak did not demand the ball. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport August 3 Glasgow Cop reveals Patrick Thistle legend John Lambie set him up for life on the beat. Report by Gabby Mackay Long-serving Glasgow police officer Andy Murdoch has revealed how playing in goal for Patrick Thistle helped set him up for life with the force. The former footballer quit the game at the age of just 27 to pursue his career with the police and recently retired on his 54th birthday. And he believes that sharing a dressing room and working under John Lambie helped prepare him for his second career. Murdoch told 1919 magazine, They're already fit and committed, so that's a massive part taken care of. But there are so many similarities between the two environments. It's the team mentality. A team is only as good as its component parts and everyone wants to do as well as possible. That's just as much the case before a big game as it is before a big job with your shift. I've looked around both and seen the look in the eyes of officers and players. It's the same. Even when it's going wrong, you look round about you and trust the people you are in there with. Legendary Thistle Boss Lambie was known for his old school style and colourful language, with one famous story going that when striker Colin McGlashan was knocked out and couldn't remember who he was, the gaffer responded, Great! Tell him he's Pelly and get him back on. The pair fell out over the manner of his departure from Firhill, but Murdoch has some stories to tell about the man he calls some character. He recalled, When I said I wanted to join the police, he told me I was a better zookeeper than goalkeeper. There was one game I made a mistake, and in the dressing room he threw a cup of tea at the back of my head. Before I could respond, he yelled, You couldn't catch that either. Murdoch eventually rose to become superintendent at Govan Police Station and he looks back on that as a highlight of both careers. He said, That was the most emotional one for me. My wife Jacqueline was diagnosed with cancer in 2016 and it was a terrible time. My head was complete mince. I didn't know what to do. My mind was just full of broken glass. The support I got from the Scottish Police Federation at that time was unbelievable. But even though she was going through all that, losing her hair and everything, she was right behind me in going for this promotion. We were on holiday in Lorette de Mar, and when we got back from a day out, there was a message for me at reception to say the promotion had been approved 
along with a bottle of champagne. But that promotion, it was as much my wife that got that as me. That's what you need in the police, the support of your family. It makes all the difference. That's a moment I will never forget. Report by Gabby Mackay Evening Time Sport, August 3 Kieran Tierney on losing friends to suicide, Arsenal struggles and homesickness. Former Celtic defender Kieran Tierney has opened up on the difficulties of adjusting to life in London. Tierney left the team he supported as a boy to join Arsenal back in 2019 in a Scottish transfer record move. He has excelled at the Emirates when fit, but has not had his injury troubles to seek since his relocation. The Scotland international, ahead of the premiere of an Amazon documentary Chatting the Gunners last season, has spoken of his struggles settling in amid off-field pressures including homesickness and dealing with the death of friends. Said Tierney, it was hard to start with. I was really struggling, really at a low point. The homesickness was terrible to start with. Outside training, you had a lot of time to think. I'm not saying I was ever in a bad, bad place where I was suicidal, but my friends have been. Two or three of them have committed suicide and lost their lives. You're with these people and you don't know a thing. They've not spoken. So I think I feel a certain responsibility to try and help as much as I can because I kind of know how it feels to be in a certain place. The 25-year-old Tierney says he now lives with Arsenal chef Johnny McCallum and that has helped him off the field. He added, he can get quite angry sometimes if we get beaten but that's just passion for you. That's what he cares about, so I stay out of his way. Johnny knows if I'm angry, he leaves the food and just bolts. Report by James McLaughlin Evening Times Sport, August 3 Rangers Injury News Latest Reported by Eden Smith Giovanni Van Bronckhurst has updated Rangers fans on Ryan Kent and John Souter. The pair missed the Ibrox Club's Championship League defeat to United's San Gilwas in Belgium. Both Kent and Souter picked up knocks at the weekend as Rangers got their Scottish Premiership campaign off to a winning start against Livingston. Asked if Kent would be back for next week's return leg, Van Bronckhurst said, Hopefully, yes. Ryan had a bad moment on Saturday when he got some problems with his ankle, but hopefully he will be better for Saturday or Tuesday. On Souter, the govern boss added, John also has a problem, so we are assessing him to know exactly what the problem is. That's why he didn't travel with us. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport, August 4 Alexander breaks silence on Motherwell exit. 
Report by David Irvin. Graham Alexander has broken his silence after leaving Motherwell by mutual consent. The manager departed Fir Park after the Europa Conference League exit to Sligo Rovers. Motherwell were beaten home and away in a 3-0 aggregate scoreline, leading to a meeting between Alexander and club chiefs, where it was agreed he would move on. Assistant Chris Lochetti also left the club, with Stephen Hamill placed in temporary charge and recording a 1-0 win over St Mirren at the weekend. Now Alexander has released a statement through the League Managers Association, where he thanks players, staff and supporters, and hailed the achievements during his time at the club. The statement reads, Whilst mine and Chris Lochetti's time at Motherwell Football Club has come to an end, it is a period that I will always remember fondly and be proud of what we achieved during our time in charge. First, I would like to thank the board for giving us the opportunity to lead the club and for their continued support throughout my tenure. The staff behind the scenes have been great and my support staff have been incredible to work with, making it a joy to go into work every day. It has been a privilege to coach the players and they deserve so much credit for what we achieved. We have made many friends and that means as much to us as our record of results. When we were trusted with leading the club 18 months ago, it was a daunting challenge. Bottom of the league and staring relegation in the face, the task was quite clear. Succeeding in preserving Motherwell's SPL status with a few games to spare was so important to the club both on and off the pitch as we knew what relegation would mean to the club and its fans. Our next challenge was to trim and improve the squad, to create a group of players that could aim for a top half finish. Whilst focusing on those aims, we also reintroduced the under-18s back into full-time training, allowing us to include several academy players in our senior squad. In our only full season, we managed to do all this and qualify for Europe after spending 27 weeks of the season in the top six. That achievement is one that everyone at the club can look back on with pride. I will always remember what we as a team achieved together, qualifying for Europe, earning the third highest points tally behind only Celtic and Rangers, and being the fourth highest scorers across the league. It has been a fantastic 18 months. Finally, thank you to the supporters who got behind the team and helped us to reach Europe last season. Good luck to everyone and take care. Report by David Irvin Evening Times Sport August 4 Louise Duncan keen to make pro gains with full focus on Women's Open. Report by Nick Roger Talk about diving in at the deep end. With the kind of bold leap of faith that old evil Knievel used to take when he hurtled towards a ramp plonked in front of the fountain at Caesar's Palace, Louise Duncan has certainly not shied away from a challenge. 
Last week, the 22-year-old made her professional debut in a stellar field at the Trust Golf Women's Scottish Open in her native Ayrshire. This week, she's teeing up in the very first match of the day with Katrina Matthew in an historic AIG Women's Open at Muirfield. Just a quiet start to life in the paid ranks then. I thought to myself, let's just go for it, said Duncan of a daunting plunge that just about requires a mask, wetsuit and submersible pressure gauge. Not many people get to start their pro careers in the Scottish Open just down the road from their home, then come to a women's open at Moorfield. I was thinking I may never get this opportunity again, so I had to take it. She may have missed the cut on her professional debut at Dundonald Links, but the memories of her thrilling exploits in the AIG Women's Open a year ago will hopefully stand her in good stead this week. As an amateur in the Carnoustie showpiece 12 months ago, the West Kilbride youngster finished in a memorable share of 10th place. Of course, amateur campaigners performing rousing feats in pro events has been happening for years, especially at links venues. Teeing up with modest expectations while looking to enjoy the occasion, however, is a whole different ballgame to playing for your livelihood when pounds, dollars or euros accompany every shot. And there's a fair whack of money to think about this week. The R&A and AIG announced yesterday that the prize fund of the championship will rocket by $1.5 million to a whopping $7.3 million. Duncan is not being distracted by the bounty on offer and she's still getting used to her new status as a professional golfer. She admits, I haven't had a paycheck yet and it still hasn't sunk in that I can earn some decent money if I play well. I'm still in the amateur way of thinking that I won't be making any money from playing. I've never thought about money before and I'm trying not to think about it this week. Last year, I went out with no expectations and enjoyed it. We had a good laugh. I'm going to try that this week. That's the key to me playing good golf. Due to her amateur status a year ago, Duncan missed out on a prize worth around £80,000 for her top 10 placing. She wouldn't mind shoving that into her bank account this week and the former women's amateur champion is quietly confident that she can put on another sturdy showing. She reflected, I've been going through random thoughts this season thinking, how did that even happen? That week at Carnoustie was wild, but it's possible to do it again. The course setup is nice, it will be windy, and I'm used to that being from Scotland. I have loads of great memories from last year. Hopefully I can put them to good use. Duncan's amateur dramatics in 2021 gained her widespread acclaim and she reveled in the publicity, TV, radio, newspapers. You name it, Duncan was on it or in it. She said of her newfound fame, 
People have got to know who I am a bit more over the last year, and it's been quite inspiring. As for the fortunes of women's golf in general, well, things are certainly heading in the right direction. When Muirfield's original vote on admitting female members in 2016 faltered, the R&A took a firm stance and said the venue would not be considered as a championship host until that prickly situation was resolved. A year later it was. Admitted the chief executive Martin Slumbers. I think 2016 was an important time for this sport and for the R&A. We had been working very hard on a strategy for the R&A that had inclusivity very much a part of it. When you think back over that six year period, women's golf has really exploded and it's got a long way to go yet. This week is another major moment on that journey, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, August 4. McCoggan laps up sensational 10,000 metres gold at Commonwealth Games. Report by Susan Egglestar. Ailish McCoggan won a glorious gold medal on the track for Team Scotland, winning the 10,000 metres to become Commonwealth champion and emulating her mum who achieved the same feat over three decades ago. McCoggan's gold is Scotland's first in athletics at Birmingham 2022 and the 31-year-old did it in style. For almost a year, McCoggan has been in scintillating form, breaking numerous Scottish, British and European records over several distances, but a string of setbacks, including a bout of COVID, laryngitis and a tweaked hamstring in recent months, meant her preparation for these Commonwealth Games was far from ideal. A 10th place in the 10,000 metres at the recent World Championships indicated she was getting back to full fitness and she was among the pre-race favourites for a medal at the Alexander Stadium last night. But with the Kenyan pair of Irene Chipti and Sheila Kiprotic, England's Jess Judd as well as defending champion Stella Chizang from Uganda, also on the start line, a place on the podium was far from assured for the Scot. The early stages of the race panned out well for McCoggan, who is the quickest 5,000 metres runner in the field, with the first 1,000 metres of the final run at an especially slow pace. As things progressed, McCoggan took the race on, going to the front, and she whittled the field down to her and the two Kenyan women, who are better known for their exploits on the road than the track but our accomplished championship performers nevertheless. With 1,000 metres to go, Kibrotic became hampered by an injury and dropped back, with McCoggan and Chepte opening up an unassailable gap between themselves and the rest. At the bell, Chepte tried to kick it for home, but she could not shake McCoggan, who remained steadfastly on her shoulder and with around 60 metres to go, the Scot put in a burst of pace that left the Kenyan in her wake, 
to take gold in a new Commonwealth Games record of 30 minutes, 48.60 seconds. It is McCoggan's first major championships gold medal, emulating her mum Liz's 10,000 metres victory at the 1986 and 1990 Commonwealth Games. It was her mum who was amongst the first to congratulate McCoggan on her win. With both mother and daughter in tears at the enormity of the Dundonian's achievement, and in the immediate aftermath, McCoggan admitted she was close to speechless at her win, which came in her third Commonwealth Games and her fourth different discipline, following her appearances in the 1500 metres, steeplechase and 5,000 metres over the past two games. She said, It has been such an up and down year with Covid and other illness, and a couple of niggles at the wrong time. I knew the fitness was somewhere in me, but I couldn't have asked for any more tonight. To have my family here and the crowd were incredible. The noise was vibrating through my entire body. I wanted it so bad. I know those two Kenyan ladies from the road circuit, so I know they're strong, and I knew they'd put in bus to try and break up the pace, but I knew if I could stay with them I could close well, so it's an absolute dream. It's so special. I have finally found an event that suits me, and to win it is incredible. I was ready to win a medal here, but you could see over the last 100 metres how much I wanted gold, and I can't even put into words how I feel. Guy Lermont also showed some impressive form, finishing second in his heat of the 800 metres in 1 minute 49.15 seconds to qualify for Sunday's final. Another final appearance, eight years after doing the same at Glasgow 2014, is just a reward for the 30-year-old whose 2021 season was almost completely obliterated by the after-effects of Covid. He said, that was a tough heat. A lot of people probably wrote me off with the past year I've had and people have been kicking me when I'm down, but in the last four weeks I've got my head together and I proved there what I can do. In the women's 400 metres both Nicole Ergen and Zoe Clark made it safely through to the semi-finals. Ergen was first up finishing third in her heat in 52.52 seconds, while Clark was a shade faster crossing the line in 51.84 seconds to finish second in her heat. Both Adam Thomas and Alicia Rees were in action in the 100 metres semi-finals, but neither could progress with Thomas finishing seventh in his semi in 10.40 seconds and Rees also finishing seventh in 11.47 seconds. The new Commonwealth Sprint Champions are Ferdinand Omanyala of Kenya, who won the men's title in 10.02 seconds, and Olympic champion Elaine Thompson Hera, who took gold in 10.95 seconds, with England's Daryl Nita 
Taking Bronze. Report by Susan Egglestaff. Evening Times Sport, August 4. USG bid to complete shock win over Rangers. Report by Chris Jack. CB van der Heiden is dreaming of Champions League heaven. First, he will live through an Ibrox hell with Union San Gilwaz. Victory over Rangers on Tuesday evening stands as the finest result in the history of the club, and another next week would see the bar raised once again and a playoff berth secured. Giovanni van Bronckhurst described the rise and rise of Union as a fairy tale both before and after the first leg defeat that has piled the pressure on his players just a week into the campaign. It would be understandable for the Belgians to get caught up in the significance of their achievement, but there is a realisation that the job is far from done. Winning on home soil is one thing, but avoiding defeat in Glasgow is quite another. The Ibrox factor is just one of the cards that Van Bronckhorst has in his favour ahead of the return leg, and the Dutchman will need those on and off the park to be at their best if the Champions League aspirations are to continue into a meeting with either Monaco or PSV Eindhoven this month. The run to Seville showcased the stadium and the support at its best, and the Knights against Borussia Dortmund, Red Star Belgrade and Braga still resonate. The win over RB Leipzig may never be topped. If Rangers can somehow pull off a great escape, the occasion would be special in its own right, and van der Heyden is well aware of what awaits Karel Geraits and his union side second time around. Said van der Heyden, It was fantastic. The whole team was concentrated from the start, which was necessary against a very good opponent. Rangers made it to the Europa League final last year, so we had to be fully aware for the whole match. It was a great result for the team, but there's still a game waiting for us in Glasgow and it will be very tough for us, even with a 2-0 lead. I'm not scared of eyebrows. I'm really confident in my team, but we know it will be hell for us there. We know there will be 50,000 fans there screaming at us for 90 minutes. We have to be concentrated from the beginning. The first 20 minutes especially will be very important for us to stay in our shape and not switch off. I am someone who looks at our own performance and I think we did very well. We stayed in a block and were just waiting for them and in the right moments we tried to attack in our way. The scenes of celebration at the whistle told their own story in Belgium, as Union completed a lap of honour around Den Drave, their temporary home for European action, and took the acclaim of a crowd who have witnessed a remarkable time in the history of the Brussels club. USG came within touching distance of the first division title last term, and they now stand just 90 minutes away from a shot at the group stages after goals in either half from Teddy Tuma 
and Dante Vanzier earned them a deserved victory. In truth, it could have been even more comprehensive on the night. That would have rendered the second leg almost meaningless, but the Belgians still have work to do to inflict another painful Champions League exit on Rangers. Yes, it's the biggest, van der Heyden said when asked about the result in the history of Union. It's 58 years since the club was last in European football, so you know this is big. You saw at the end, all the fans standing up and cheering us. The whole stadium was on its feet. It was amazing, but I don't want to say we're favourites to go through. As I said, it will be hell in Glasgow. We will have to be switched on from the first minute because they are going to push us for sure. I think we played well last season, but now it's a new season and we need to prove we can do the same. It won't be easy at all, but we have a team with a big mentality and a good football style. I think we can go far with this. The penalty that Vanzia slotted home with 15 minutes remaining could prove to be the decisive moment in the tie as Union's lead was doubled and the reality of the situation set in for Rangers. The Belgian forward was an impressive performer on the night and he would earn special recognition for stepping up and delivering when needed for USG. A miss from 12 yards against Bruges last term proved costly in a tight title race. This time Van Zier made no mistake as he beat John McLaughlin to change the complexion of the tie. Van der Hayden said, Honestly, I'm so happy for him. It will give him the extra confidence which he needs. I'm so proud of him that he took the responsibility to take that penalty. You need big balls for that situation. And he showed he has them. It was a night for heroes to emerge for Union as their key men stood up to be counted and delivered when it mattered most for themselves and for each other. The same praise cannot be directed towards Rangers. The failings were individual and collective and the problems must be solved as a matter of urgency as attentions turn to Ibrooks next week. It's not just me, Van der Hayden said of his battle with winger Rabbi Matondo as the summer signing was rendered ineffective on his competitive debut for Rangers. It was the whole team. We did well, we kept our shape, we stayed together and we stopped Rangers creating. He was my direct opponent but it was a team effort to make sure we did not concede. My defence covered me well when I had to go forward, so we can all take credit from the result. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times Sport, August 5 Celtic captain Kelly Clark setting sights high ahead of SWPL opener. Report by James Kearney there are few Celtic players better placed at analysing the previous season's successes and failures than Kelly Clark. The team captain, closing in on a decade at the club, has been there as the women's team has evolved from the amateur setup of old 
into the professional outfit of today. Another change arrives this season, as the newly formed SWPL ushers in a change in format. A 12-team top flight, featuring a split, has been introduced for the new campaign, and the 28-year-old defender has no doubts where the team can improve this term. Last season was an historic one for Celtic. They lifted the League Cup for only the second time ever and followed up that success with a maiden Scottish Cup triumph. Yet the team were unable to keep pace with Rangers and Glasgow City as they settled for a third-place finish. Both Cups were sealed with victories over City in the respective finals and Clark is adamant that on their day, Fran Alonso's side are good enough to go toe-to-toe with everyone in Scotland. The problem, as the defender sees it, has been hitting that form on a regular basis and establishing some consistency in the league. She said, It's probably something that's been frustrating at Celtic for a number of years. When I think back to before the professional days, our big issue was dropping points against teams that finished below us. That's something that we did last season, and it was frustrating. As soon as you have a little blip, it's quite easy to let it snowball into a bit of a bigger blip. I don't think in the games we lost last year that we were miles off it at any time. Maybe one of the games we weren't at our best, but in the games that we lost, I didn't feel a million miles away. So we need to work on the finer details and be consistent with them to make sure these little blips don't happen again. That is easier said than done, of course, but Clark is determined to aim high. After the success in the Cups last season and the disappointment of failing to qualify for the Champions League, there is only one tournament where Celtic can improve on last year's showing, the league. Clark, for one, has aspirations of lifting the title come the end of the season, merely hoping to repeat past glories, she argues, simply won't cut it. She said, I think aiming for something that you've already done, or worse, is pointless. We want to do better every season, and we have done that since Fran came in. In the first year we got Champions League, there were no cups played because of Covid, and in the second year we disappointingly missed out on the Champions League, but we lifted two trophies. I've not had the conversation with the manager yet about this season's aims, but aiming for anything less than last year is pointless. We have to at least sit down and say we want to do better, and the league let us down last year. The hard work starts on Sunday. Celtic's campaign begins with a tricky test at home to Hibs the pick of the fixtures on the opening day of the season, and although there will be a few familiar faces on the opposing team, 
Clark is expecting the Capitol Club to throw up a few surprises after a busy summer of recruitment. Clark explained, I am looking forward to it. It's a bit of an unknown. Hibs have made a lot of signings, so we don't have any footage of what this new Hibs looks like. We can do some investigating on the players that they have signed, and we know one of them, Christina Freda, as she's previously played for Glasgow City. But how the new players fit together as a team is a bit of an unknown. It is potentially more important this week to focus on ourselves and make sure the things that we can control, like our performance, we do well. Women's football has been receiving plenty of long overdue airtime and column inches of late, thanks to England's triumph at Euro 2022, and Clark is adamant that this summer could act as a watershed moment in the sport. The Celtic skipper firmly believes that the increase in exposure will lead to an upturn in interest in the English Women's Super League, the WSL, and hopes that attitudes in Scotland have shifted over the last month or so. She said, I thought it was excellent. I think what it's done for women's football is unbelievable. I don't really have the words for it. It made me emotional to see what it was like, and I would try and put myself in the players' shoes. I don't know how they didn't cry singing their national anthems in front of full stadiums. I'm not just talking about the England squad. Ireland had a good following. Germany had a good following. If you had said to me even four or five years ago that that would happen, then I would have laughed in your face. I just don't have the words to explain how that whole tournament made me feel. Over the last five years, we have been making big steps in women's football here, but that is the biggest step, to the point where it's probably a high jump that I've ever seen. If people don't give women's football the credit and come along and watch, especially with the WSL in England, many people will have gone along and watched women's football for the first time. And if that doesn't make people go along and watch teams in the WSL, then I don't know whatever will. It was a fantastic tournament, great quality, great standards. And I just hope it has opened a lot of eyes for a lot of people. Report by James Kearney Evening Times Sport, August 5 Franco Smith expects Glasgow Warriors to bounce back quickly. Report by Stuart Bathgate New Glasgow coach Franco Smith is confident that the Warriors can quickly get over the disappointments of last season and start to be serious contenders in the United Rugby Championship again. Speaking at Scotston yesterday at his first press conference since his appointment was announced earlier this week, Smith said the team not only wanted to return swiftly to winning ways, but also to become the heroes that Glasgow needs. 
a below-par 2021-22 campaign for the Warriors ended in June with the humiliating 76-14 URC quarter-final defeat by Leinster, a result which cost Smith's predecessor Danny Wilson his job. However, former Springboks international Smith is convinced that the Dublin result and other low points of the past year or so are not true reflections of the talent in the squad. And while a modest improvement should be easy enough to achieve, he insisted he would not be content with such half measures. We want to win everything, the 50-year-old said, when asked what would represent success for his new side. Shall we not start there? I don't come here to participate. We don't just want to be successful only. We want to be significant as well. We want to be the heroes that Glasgow needs. We want to win as much as we can. Smith still has a few weeks to serve in his old job as Italian rugby's head of high performance, but has already seen enough of his new players to be convinced they can put last season behind them. He continued, They are very motivated after the disappointment of the last game of last season. They are a fine bunch of guys, hard-working, and I can see their effort. I think the most important thing is to see what we can do, not look at what we've already done. It's about the next job. That's the most important thing. If we're going to keep on carrying the weight of that disappointment, we're not going to get better. We are getting rid of the past and we are keeping our eyes on what's coming and what we can do to influence the outcome. I am very comfortable with the team and the group of new players that's been signed. It's time to give them the confidence to allow them to express themselves with our support as a coaching group. For now, we're just going to climb behind these guys and allow them to rectify where they feel they've let the group down or let the warrior nation down. They are very motivated after the disappointment of the last game of last season. They are a fine bunch of guys, hard working, and I can see their effort. I think the most important thing is to see what we can do, not look at what we've already done. It's about the next job. That's the most important thing. If we're going to keep on carrying the weight of that disappointment, we're not going to get better. We are getting rid of the past and we are keeping our eyes on what's coming and what we can do to influence the outcome. As part of the game model, discipline is an important thing. He continued when asked about one of the most glaring failings of the team last season. But discipline is something you live every day. It's not something you coach or teach. Hopefully the way we go about business will keep us behind the offside line and let us into the malls at the right angles and at the right height at the right side. Discipline for most teams is a problem. Sometimes it goes out the door as they try too hard. Errors are made. 
not because there's any malice, but because you're trying too hard to rectify problems. We have to keep our cool about that and try to be as calm as possible. Smith also hinted that he could appoint a new player as captain to succeed Scotland internationals Ryan Wilson and Fraser Brown, who have shared the honour in recent seasons. He continued, We as a coaching group have discussed it, but for now we're going to keep our cards close to our chests. That could be a little bit of a surprise going forward. Report by Stuart Bathgate Evening Times Sport August 5 Louise Duncan has sense of deja vu after fine start at Women's Open. Report by Nick Roger There's nothing to this major championship lack. Deja vu, smiled Louise Duncan, after finding herself in a familiar position in upper echelons of the AIG Women's Open leaderboard. As an amateur at Carnoustie a year ago, Duncan opened with a four under par 68 to lurk a shot off the pace. Here in 2022 at Muirfield, another four under start, a 67 this time, has the West Kilbride rookie hovering just two strokes off the early pace. In a shimmering field packed with more stars than the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Duncan certainly shone and took the whole occasion in her canny stride. Off in the very first group of the day at 6.30am, Duncan watched her celebrated compatriot Katrina Matthew get things underway with a symbolic opening tee shot, the first by a woman in a professional event here, before getting cracking herself. By the end of her shift, she was pretty happy with her morning at the office. Matthew, meanwhile, had to settle for a 76. It was worth the 4.30am alarm call, Duncan said to a gathering of yawning golf writers, who had clearly been up at that time too, or possibly up until that time. At such an ungodly hour, even the larks would still have had their nightgowns on, but Duncan's dawn patrol was certainly an eye-opening, eye-catching manoeuvre. Just like 12 months ago, when she made sizeable strides on the back nine of her first round, Duncan again made a telling move on her inward half yesterday. A birdie on 11 got her to two under before she upped the ante on the 17th with a bold approach from some 240 yards, which fed in off the bank and trundled to within five feet of the flag. The eagle putt was gobbled up with glee as she reaped the rewards of her sense of adventure. It almost got better on the last as she attacked the pin with gusto and gave herself a birdie chance from ten feet. It didn't drop, but Duncan wasn't going to complain about a four-under start, which left her just a couple behind Hinako Shibuno of Japan, who set the first-day standard 
with a 65. Missing the cut on her professional debut at the Trust Golf Women's Scottish Open in her native Ayrshire last week was a bit of a scunner, but this was a timely tonic. And she said, I got a wee bit down on myself last week. My head was down. I just wasn't in a good mood. But today I was in a good mood and played well. Shibuno certainly played well and burst from the traps like a whippet. Three birdies in a row to start had her hurtling up the order and a brace of gains to finish at 16 and 17 fortified her position of authority. Shibuno was a wonderful winner of the Women's Open at Woburn in 2019, but things have been fairly topsy-turvy since then. The sight of her name at the top of the standings here almost gave her the kind of nostalgic glow folk used to get when they watched the Hovis Bread advert. She said with a wistful smile, I was looking at the leaderboard and remembering the past. It's rare to be in a position like this. It takes me back to 2019. It really feels like that. Shibuno finished one shot clear of Jessica Corda, who recovered from an early bogey with a haul of four birdies and an eagle on the 17th in a spirited 66. As another victim of the airport baggage handling chaos that has left various clumps of golfing equipment strewn in wild abandon, Corda is still waiting on her luggage arriving from last week's Evian Championship. Said the 29-year-old of the spare clothes she's had to borrow from her fellow competitors. On Monday, I wore Megan Kang's pants. Tuesday, I wore my sister's pants. And Wednesday, I wore Alison Lee's pants. Thankfully, Footjoy have sent me a bunch of clothes. Despite her sartorial challenges, Corda embraced the Muirfield examination and highlighted her card with a 20-footer for a 3 on that par 5-17th. She said of the exacting test, It's really fun, but really stressful. Corda may yet be dressed for success, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, August 5. Kevin Tierney admits fearing Celtic fan backlash over Arsenal move. Report by David Irvin. Kevin Tierney has revealed he was fearing the worst when he left Celtic for Arsenal when it came to how the news would be received by the Parkhead faithful. The Scotland international headed to the Premier League in a £25 million move from Celtic in August 2019, just months after Brendan Rodgers left mid-season for Leicester. Rodgers had received backlash from the fans after accepting a move to the Foxes in the midst of Celtic chasing a treble-treble in domestic competition. And Tierney, who left in the summer window, 
has admitted he feared taking some stick from the supporters for leaving. But instead, he told the Daily Mail that he received an overwhelmingly positive response, with lots of fans wishing him the best after his transfer switch. On his move to Arsenal, Tierney commented, Easily the hardest decision I've ever had to make because of how much it pulled on my heartstrings. My family loved going to Celtic games and seeing their son, brother, nephew, cousin play and I felt bad taking that away from them. We had seen the reaction that Brendan Rodgers had got when he left Celtic for Leicester, so it was kind of scary but it's a very small minority. A lot of people message me saying, all the best, we're so proud of you, go down there and smash it. I still look back and see those as my best days, to be playing for your boyhood club. I lived the dream. Report by David Irvin. Evening Times Sport, August 8. McCoyst blasts Hibbs fan stupidity. Report by Ewan Payton. Striker and pundit Ali McCoyst has slammed the Hibbs fans after Hearts star Alex Cochran was pelted with objects during the Edinburgh derby. The former Brighton midfielder was hit by numerous chips, a plastic cup and even more dangerously a cigarette lighter near the Easter Road touchline during yesterday's powder keg fixture. The game ended 1-1 after Martin Boyle equalised in the final minute to cancel out Lawrence Shankland's opener. McCoyst was not in the mood to hold back, giving the Hibs faithful involved both barrels. He told TalkSport, it never ceases to amaze me the stupidity of some fans, throwing a cigarette lighter in particular. That could take somebody's eye out or need stitches. It's a shame because it was a proper game yesterday, a good game. I think Hearts boss Robbie Nielsen will be a little bit more disappointed than the Hibs contingent because they seem to dominate most of the game. They took a one nothing lead through Lawrence Shankland, then Hibbs equalised literally with the last kick of the ball through Martin Boyle. Robbie will be disappointed, but at the same time it's just stupidity from these fans, and surely it's not that difficult to pick them out with the cameras that are at the game. Just go get them and ban them. Throwing things onto pitches I thought we were up by all that. It's a shame, because the Edinburgh Derby is a proper derby. I've been to three or four in the last four or five years, and I really do enjoy the atmosphere. It's a good, good game, whether it's at Tynecastle or Easter Road. It's a shame it's been marred by that. Report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, August 8. Ashley Bouhey savers AIG Women's Open victory. Report by Press Association. South Africa's Ashley Bouhey savored a life-changing achievement after defeating three-time major winner Ji Chun 
in a playoff to win the AIG Women's Open. With the light fading fast at Muirfield, Muhe tapped in for par on the fourth extra hole at 9.10pm to seal a nerve-wracking victory, having twice surrendered seemingly commanding leads with a closing 75. Five shots clear, heading into the final round, Buhe was still three ahead with four holes to play, only to run up a triple bogey seven on the 15th after finding sand off the tee and splashing out sideways into heavy rough. That dropped the 33-year-old into a tie for the lead with Chun, the South Korean then completing a closing 70 in the group ahead to set the clubhouse target on 10 under. After her birdie putt on the par 5 17th caught the edge of the hole and stayed out, Buhe had to hole from 4 feet on the last to force a playoff after charging her long birdie attempt past the hole. The players returned to the 18th for extra holes and Chun brilliantly saved Parr from a greenside bunker to keep her hopes alive, with Buhe two-putting from long range. Both players missed the green on the second extra hole and hit poor third shots before Chun inexplicably charged her par putt eight feet past the hole, but the 27-year-old recovered her composure to salvage a bogey after Buhe's long par attempt came up short. Despite the fading light and dropping temperature, Chun and Buhe both hit superb shots into the green on the third extra hole, but neither was able to convert. It was debatable whether a fifth extra hole would have been possible if required, but Buhe finally settled the outcome in style with a brilliant greenside bunker shot, setting up a tap-in par, which Chun, who had found sand off the tee, was unable to match. I am proud of myself, how I dug deep to get into the playoff, said Buhe, who joins compatriots Gary Player, 1959, and Ernie Els, 2002, in winning a major title at Muirfield. It's so difficult to put into words right now. It might only hit me in a few days, but obviously I'm very proud. We are a very small country, so to be able to produce quite a few major champions is quite something. And now for me to be a female South African major winner, I've got no words. It's life-changing. Former champion Henako Shibuno finished a shot outside the playoff after a final round of 71, with Ireland's Leona Maguire two strokes further back in a tie for fourth, alongside Madeleine Sagstrom and Minji Lee. Maguire, who secured her best finish to date in a major thanks to an eagle on three birdies, in a flawless closing 66, said, I am really pleased. A closing 69 gave Scotland's Louise Duncan a share of 19th place 
and her first cheque as a professional, 12 months after she was unable to claim prize money of £80,000 for finishing tied 10th as an amateur at Carnoustie. Evening Times Sport, August 8. Laura Muir targets summer treble after Commonwealth Games glory. Laura Muir stormed to 1500 metres gold on Sunday evening to collect her second medal of the Commonwealth Games and immediately targeted a summer treble. The 29-year-old Scot, who secured her first ever Commonwealth medal on Saturday with 800 metres bronze after an appeal over the photo finish from Jamaica was rejected, decimated the field on the final day of athletics at the Alexander Stadium. She crossed the line in 4 minutes, 2.75 seconds, ahead of Northern Ireland's Kira McGean and Australia's Abby Caldwell, and swiftly turned her focus to the European Championships in Munich later this month. Oh my God, the 1500 metres, 800 metres double, said Muir, who picked up 1500 metres bronze at the World Championships in Eugene last month. Two down, one to go. I came into this year wanting to run at all three and medal at all three. I have done two out of three so far. I cannot thank everyone enough for the support, all my friends and family my coach, my physio, everybody has just been amazing. I couldn't have wished for a better support crew. I think I would have said to the Laura Muir of 2014, your time will come after finishing 11th at the Glasgow Commonwealth Games. It's rotten at the time, but you learn from it and you come back stronger. This meant a lot to me. Missing the Gold Coast in 2018 as well. It's been bugging me for eight years. It's so nice to come here and not just get one medal but two and in such a competitive field. Those girls are fast. It means a lot. Scotland teammate Eilish McCaughan claimed silver in the women's 5,000 metres, adding to her 10,000 metres title while England's Ben Patterson was third in the men's 800 metres. Victoria Ohurugo, Jodie Williams, Ama Pippi and Jessie Knight were stripped of 4 by 400 metres relay gold after being disqualified following their win in the final event. Williams and Ohurugo stepped out of their lane during the standover for the second leg, meaning Canada took the victory with Jamaica second and Scotland were promoted to bronze. England did not appeal after reviewing the footage, accepting it would not have any grounds. Evening Times Sport, August 8. Rival boss praises Celtic's clever Ball Boys Strategy Report by James McLaughlin Hibs manager Lee Johnson reckons Celtic not only lead the way in Scotland on the pitch, but just off it too. 
Johnson pinpointed the Parkhead side's clever use of ball boys on a match-by-match -match basis. The Hibs boss told the Scottish Daily Express, If you watch Celtic ball boys, they are fantastic. They are drilled like Wimbledon ball boys. If they are one nothing up with 10 minutes to go, bang, two balls come on the pitch at once and it's oops, sorry, genius. But if they are behind or drawing, the ball is coming back rapid and the throws are incoming in five seconds. We had our ball boys in on Wednesday. They are all under 14, but we had them around the pitch and it was fast paced, trying to create the tempo of a derby. It was fire in the belly, ice in the head stuff. They were brilliant by the way. I used to be a ball boy for John Beck down south. He was a bit of a pioneer. Long balls playing towards the corners. He brought in luminous signs so they didn't even have to look up. We were also trained properly. I would take my time and tow it or keep missing it, stuff like that. And the opposition keeper would give me a clout around the head. The Easter Road manager got his premiership tenure off to a winning start last weekend against St Johnston, a match in which he says better trained ball boys could have made a bigger difference. He pointed out, over the 97 minutes against St Johnston, the ball was in play for just 41 minutes. How boring is that? So what are we doing about it? We have to speed up the ball boys. Referees have to manage the game to get the ball flowing. If you book a goalkeeper early for wasting time, and I would take this at my end as well by the way, I guarantee he'll speed up his play. There's the multi-ball system on the side too, but what kind of ball boys are you using? Are they 10 year olds or 17? Are they coached or not? Report by James McLaughlin Evening Times Sport August 8 Scotland claims three boxing golds for the first time at Commonwealth Games. Report by Graeme McPherson Any remaining doubts Craig McAvoy may have had about the wisdom of completely overhauling the Boxing Scotland programme were washed away on a gloriously golden day in Birmingham. The performance director and joint national coach had watched Team Scotland return from Gold Coast in 2018 with just a pair of bronze medals and knew the country's leading amateur boxers were capable of so much better. His faith to instigate a revolution was wholly vindicated yesterday as Scotland claimed three boxing golds at a Commonwealth Games for the very first time, adding two more bronze medals for Matthew McHale and Tyler Jolly, and it added up to Scotland's second largest medal haul in the sport in 52 years. It all augurs well for the future, with many of the team likely to now go on to compete at the Olympics in two years' time or turn over into the professional ranks. The subjective nature of judges' scoring 
is one of boxing's most contentious issues, but on this occasion, all three split decisions went the way of the Scottish fighters. It was Sam Hickey who started the gold rush, coming out on top from a mesmerising, no-holds-barred middleweight clash with Callum Peters. The Dundonian and his Australian opponent took to the middle of the ring from the first bell and stood in traded shots until they could raise their limbs no more. It was exhausting just to watch. Hickey wisely began to demonstrate better movement in the second round, causing Peters to swing and miss more often. But come the conclusion of the final round, it was tough to pick a winner. The 3-2 verdict went in Hickey's favour, who had just about enough energy to shout number one as he made his way out of the arena. He said, you always need to believe in yourself and have confidence in yourself. I have been short of making finals a few times now, so to finally get there and break through that barrier and win is a huge thing mentally for me. I'm so happy. This is my moment. A huge platform at a home games. It's crazy. I've got a big future ahead of me and I can't wait to show everybody what I'm capable of. Scottish boxing is flying at the moment. Hickey's win set the benchmark for the day and Sean Lazzarini was next up to match it. The light heavyweight found himself in an all-British contest with Wales' Taylor Bevan, a fight that began slowly before warming up over rounds two and three. It was again tough to separate the pair for the most part, with Bevan not shying away and Lazzarini getting repeated joy with a laser-accurate left cross. The Glaswegian unleashed a series of combinations late in the fight, to eliminate any doubt over the outcome, with the judges scoring it 4-1 in his favour. The 25-year-old had been eliminated in the first round on Gold Coast four years ago. His shushing gesture as his name was read out, no doubt a message to all of those who had doubted him. He said, It's just surreal, to be honest. I feel that he was the favourite, and it was mine to try to take it from him. And I came here and shocked everyone. I shut a lot of people up. A lot of people stopped believing in me because I got hand injuries and stuff. It's good to just prove everyone wrong. I'll talk to my family now and see what's next, but I'd love to box as a professional in Glasgow. Rhys Lynch had to wait a few hours after that for his own shot at gold, but didn't let the side down. Up against the vastly experienced Ricardo Collin from Mauritius, the light welterweight contest was a duel between two counter-punchers who were willing to take a patient approach before getting their shots away. Collin, a three-time Olympian, was a dangerous opponent who twice sent Lynch's mouth guard flying, while a cut above the Scots' right eye in the third round also made things more complicated. 
A big right hand from Collins saw Lynch take a standing eight count late in the final round, but the Southpaw had already done enough by then to seal a 4-1 victory. Said Lynch, I fulfilled what I said I was going to do. There was a wee bit of pressure going third, but pressure makes diamonds. I knew this team could do brilliant things. I said it was a record-breaking team in the making, and here we are. Report by Graham McPherson. And that was this week's Glasgow Times Sport podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.